The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. If the last century was the American century, this is the Asian century. It's still beginning, but there is little doubt that the amazing growth in wealth and living standards and the economic and geopolitical influence of a range of Asian countries is only going to continue to be the big story. The numbers are amazing. In the last 30 years, hundreds of millions of people have been brought out of poverty, in a large part due to trade and linkages across the world. And with the digital present, those linkages should only increase. One Kiwi working to make this happen in both his own business and at the larger international scale is Mitchell Pham. Mitchell came to New Zealand from Vietnam, but a very different Vietnam. As a primary school aged child, his family helped him escape a political system that had seen many persecuted. He left alone, outrunning machine gun fire and surviving exposure to the elements and running out of food before being picked up by an Indonesian oil rig crew. The next two years were spent across four refugee camps before being placed to New Zealand. Arriving alone in the mid-80s, Mitchell had more challenges than most to overcome to make schooling work, but he thrived, meeting friends at university that he set up a company with that became the Algon Software Group. Today, his software development company has offices across New Zealand and Vietnam, and Mitchell Pham is a member of a number of national and international bodies to help increase the quality of our digital landscape so all can benefit. He's chair of the Digital Council of Aotearoa New Zealand and New Zealand's representative on the Asia Society's Global Council, as well as chair of the New Zealand Tech Industry Association and the Financial Technology Industry Group. He joins me now to talk about the journey, contributing on those industry bodies, and what's next. Kia ora, good morning. Thank you for being here. Kia ora. I'm pleased to be here. Thank uh, you. Uh-huh. Hey, first up, um, tell me about about that journey and how you came to be in New Zealand at, at 13 alone. Oh, um, how do I condense a long story down to a, a few sound bites? Um, so I... Um, tried to escape Vietnam with my family uh, three times. Um, The first two times were when I was eight and when I was ten. And the third time, my parents had run out of money to finance the whole family to uh, attempt again. Um, So they sent me um, and uh, that was when I had just turned 12. 
Wow, that's and that's so young to be um, alone doing that, but also having been through the 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 stress and the difficulty of two two attempts before that. What um yeah, do, do, what what's it like remembering that? And you you know what um what was it like then to to find yourself um successful that third time? Um, well, I, I think these experiences kind of shape you, but also um, they stay with you. Um, you know, so my my memories of um, uh, these attempts and and uh, the kind of the audios that we went through as a whole family um, are still very vivid today. Uh, and I still remember uh, my mum's face the day that she sent me out the third time and, and they couldn't come with me. Um, so, so these are very much um, living memories, really. Um, and uh, no one kind of knows whether or not you would succeed in doing something like this. Some people have tried many more times. Um, many have died trying also. Um, so, you know, personally, I, I feel very fortunate um, to have survived through all of those experiences, uh, but also to, to arrive in, in such a wonderful uh, country as uh, New Zealand, uh, eventually. Tell me about arriving in New Zealand. As, so, so you spent a couple of years in, in refugee camps and then, um, uh, and, and then came to New Zealand. What was, what was New Zealand like when you arrived in the 80s compared to the Vietnam you'd grown up in and the environments you'd been in previously? Where, where did you end up? Wow, New Zealand was very cold. <laughs> I, I, I arrived uh, in uh, August, late August, uh, 1985. You know, and uh, stepping out of the the um, airport, I, I felt this, you know, really fresh, uh, you know, atmosphere, you know, really clean and fresh air, and and it was very pleasant uh, for about two minutes. <laughs> and then the cold hit me. Um, so coming from Asia or Southeast Asia, where it, it's warm uh, to hot all of the time, and and spending two years in, in for refugee camps in Indonesia, um, where it's always hot as well, um, you know, from forty plus uh, Celsius uh, down to I think it was six degrees <laughs> in Auckland. And so that was a, a bit uh, a bit of a shock. Uh, but I think the much bigger shock actually. Um, was uh, the culture, the language, um, as well as kind of everything in New Zealand was completely and totally foreign to me. Um, I had never been in a Western country before, so absolutely everything was foreign. What was it that made you, because you had chosen New Zealand as the, the place that you would most like to be placed, um, what as kind of you know a a twelve year old um, boy? What was it about New Zealand that um, was in your mind? Um, apart from having some family friends here uh, already, um, the, the back in the refugee camps, um, I went to the libraries and read a lot about Western countries that people chose to uh, and hoped to um, resettle to. Um, you know, the US, UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, European countries like France and Italy and Spain and so on, um, all are very uh, amazing countries. Uh, but one thing that particularly attracted me to New Zealand was, was our 
uh, very, very obvious lack of history of conflict. Um, you know, having come from a country where I think almost constantly, to be honest, Vietnam's had a, a, a very long history of conflict for maybe 1,500 years. Um, you know, I, I kind of um, felt that New Zealand was probably the best choice. Yeah. And was it a very quiet place compared to where you'd been when you arrived? Where did you settle? Uh, so I have always lived in, in Auckland. Uh, there are other cities, but but um, Auckland was um, where I ended up. Um, and um, I, I initially found Auckland very quiet. Um, I remember the first day um, shortly after I had arrived, um, I I'd had a bit of a tour. We, we were taken on a bus and we were shown around the, the Auckland CBD. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, Oh, this is a nice little town. I wonder what the city looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I was used to a very, very populous city, you know, yeah. uh, coming from, from uh, Saigon or was now Ho Chi Minh City. And the mid-80s Auckland, like, <laughs> it's changed a lot in the last, uh, the last 30 years, hasn't it, in terms of, um, in terms of it being a city? It, it surely has changed a lot. Uh, I remember everything was closed, you know, after 5 p.m. and nothing was open over the weekend. Um, but also, for me, significantly, there was very little, little Vietnamese cuisine available in Auckland uh, back then. Yeah, and so you were alone and 13, and were you able to get word back to your parents that you'd made it? Like, did they did they know that you were okay and you'd, you'd made it out that night by then? Um, they did not initially. Uh, it took some time um, and, and, and persistent as well as consistent kind of attempt to communicate through uh, networks of friends uh, who had been through the refugee journeys as well. There was a Vietnamese community uh, in New Zealand and most of them were from refugee background also and... Yes, just through um, keeping on trying, I guess, uh, we, we reconnected eventually. Um, but I, I imagine that it must have been uh, really difficult for my parents not knowing for a long time. Yeah. And then you in, in, in Auckland, um, you, you know, st- starting school, starting, how was it to kind of like catch up and have the culture shock? And like, um, you know, you, you were already kind of... Um, uh, re- reading English and teaching English to other people in the refugee camps and the like, weren't you? But yeah, like, how was it trying to get up to kind of up, up, up to speed with what was happening here? Um, well, language-wise, I had a very tiny bit of English, uh, you know, back in Vietnam. I had learned a little bit. Um, I accelerated my learning through the refugee camps, uh, and, and yes, I did volunteer to teach beginners English to the others because that was something that was going to help people get out of the camps. Um, and and through that process, I kind of strengthened my, my language a little bit more. Um, but most of my uh, English learning really happened here in New Zealand once you are submerged in an English-speaking uh, country and culture as well. Um, so, so yes, it was, uh, it was very difficult initially because I found that uh, the Kiwi accent was very, very new and different. Uh, but also Kiwis speak very fast <laughs> compared to, to other English-speaking uh, peoples. Um, so, so I tr- struggled for a while. Um, I think it took me about 10 years, I think, uh, um, to feel that I was completely settled, completely uh, kind of, I, I really got the, 
the language and the culture of Aotearoa. Um, and the reason I I say that is was ten years was because I remember around about then uh, thinking that you know I finally really understood the Kiwi humor, <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and and I think personally I, in, in my experience, you know, humor is a really important part of of any culture, you know, and once you fully grasp the the humor, then I think you fully understand the people and, and, and everything in, in that setting. Tell me about your path to starting um, the organ software group. As um, That was something, so, so you met friends at, at university, so you threw yourself into your, your, your schooling and kind of overcome um, a, a, a bit of a, a, a you know, setback um, start. Um, and, and then tell me about yeah meet, meeting those friends and deciding to, to start that company together. Um. Yes, sure. So I, I met um, my um, you know co-founders of Algon friends, uh, Peter and Stefan, Robert and Andrew. Um, so we were a, a, a mixed kind of bunch uh, as well. And, uh, I'm you know originally from Vietnam. Robert's from uh, South Korea. Stefan's from Germany, uh, and and Peter and Andrew were New Zealand-born Kiwis. Um, so it was an interesting mix, um, and it's, it's actually been really good to, right from the onset, you know, uh, to be a, a diverse group and, and a diverse um, and inclusive company as we grew. Um, it was, I think, the common desire to to do something uh, commercially as opposed to um, having jobs uh, in, in, in IT, which is what we trained in. Um, so we had that kind of common desire. We got together and set up, the, uh, registered the company and and pretty much basically learned from trial and error uh, everything since then. What was the first company you set up when you were, was it at university that you set it up and what did you first set up to do? Uh, initially, the, the first Algon uh, company in our group um, was set up while we were in our final year at university. And our aspiration at the time, uh, before all of this whole ecosystem for startups and agile and all of those things that we have, we know today, um, back in those days, we, we wanted to uh, develop uh, an online curriculum that, that could be accessed uh, from the internet um, for um, uh, secondary schools uh, in, across New Zealand. Um, About what twenty years too early? Uh, we we were very early. Uh, we, uh, I mean, some some of our team are very very strong, you know, technical um, people, and and so we kind of developed some some work around the technology, and found that we were probably about five years ahead of the the internet and 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 where the current technology was. So we would have had to develop a lot of you know, our own technologies. Um, we found that the at the time the schools were probably about twenty years um, behind in terms of the infrastructure and and also the skills uh, and an understanding of internet to be able to use something like that. Um, but I'll probably be very unpopular for saying this, but at the time we felt that the Ministry of Education was about 200 years behind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that now, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> um, because of the entire uh, approach to education, right? the, the system has been around for that long. Uh, 
Um, you know, and, and so these lessons were very valuable uh, from our early days, so much that we became very, very um, kind of tech startup and tech business type of friendly kind of a business. Um, so we ended up, you know, serving both types of customers. One is the, the kind of the standard New Zealand businesses in, in different industries. And, and the, the more interesting type uh, are the Kiwi tech companies. Um, yeah, so that's how it kind of started and eventually uh, led us where, to where we are. Where are you today? So what kind of work does your, your group do? And yeah, what kind of software development and, and, um, and what kind of companies do you have within the group? Um, so over the years, we've developed a number of different things that maybe could be developed further. You know, so we've tried to um, treat those things as kind of independent projects, which ended up being uh, different uh, businesses. Uh, some have succeeded and others haven't, and that's part of our learning journey. Um, the the two main businesses that we have uh, that are kind of still going very, very strong as, as our core uh, business uh, is the, the New Zealand Algon company and, and the subsidiary you know, Vietnam uh, company. Uh, combined together uh, is uh, the, the, uh, the operation uh, that allows us to both bring our expertise to do you know, uh, software development integration type of projects for, for businesses, uh, but also more importantly to help uh, Kiwi tech companies uh, develop products and, and scale their, their development uh, capacity and accelerate their speed to market uh, so they can take their products out to market sooner, faster, and, and keep moving uh, ahead of the competition. Because most of the um, Kiwi tech companies we work with uh, serve international markets, so, so there's, there's a, a huge scope there for, for ongoing development. Um, yeah, so I think where we're really strong at is, is uh, we don't do everything, but we, what we do in the development and integration space, we do very well. So we, we're a bit of a specialist, uh, if you will. Um, and being able to span uh, across New Zealand and Vietnam is a real advantage that we leverage all the time. And we share this advantage with the Kiwi companies that we work with so that we can really scale very quickly and easily. Um, uh, and and that's, that's usually where um, companies come to us. Um, it's really when they have the need to accelerate um, the development of their products and, and, and also the ongoing growth uh, of their business. And so in practical terms, does that mean in your office there you've got a bunch of great developers who you're able to kind of bring in to scale up uh, the work that's happening on, on jobs? We, we have developers and uh, testers and business analysts and project managers. Um, we Half of our staff are in, in New Zealand, in Auckland, and the other half of the team are in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. Um, we often uh, engage first in New Zealand uh, to really frame up the relationship as well as the projects and the various work programs uh, and bring in our uh, Vietnam um, teams to, to really uh, get the, a lot of the work done. Um, and we're reasonably unique in that um, our Vietnam team is quite New Zealand uh, friendly or New Zealand centric. We've, we've developed a very, very strong cultural uh, connection between our two um, operations um, and and 
tune that into how Kiwi businesses operate and Kiwi tech companies innovate. Um, and so we, we find that um, our uh, Vietnam staff are able to work uh, directly with um, Kiwi companies to really accelerate the pace of, of um, development. Tell me about building that out. Like, when was your light bulb moment that said, hey, I should um, expand our software operations into Vietnam and, and, and get working there? How did that come about? Ah, well, all things come from necessity, I think. <laughs> um, back in the mid 2000s, um, we were already then starting to struggle with, with uh, growing our team in New Zealand because of the limited, um, you know, the, I guess, talent pool here, the limited supply of, of talent here in New Zealand. Um, and strangely enough, you know, today it's, it's even more the pressure on, on talent for New Zealand tech companies and tech industries even more acute. Um, but back then, I, I certainly uh, remember that we had to find different ways to be able to, to resource up our projects for our customers. Um, and we had a number of customers who had tried to uh, outsource directly themselves to, to India or to Eastern Europe, um, and they couldn't make it work. So we decided, well, let's, let's have a look and see what's really needed. Um, and we scouted out different resourcing uh, uh, centers in, in, in Southeast Asia. Um, and decided that Vietnam was probably the right one because there's a lot of cultural uh, understanding that really needs to exist, you know, for that kind of an operation to work well. And and we were able to leverage um, my, um, you know, Vietnamese heritage um, to, to do that. And was that cool to be able to go back to what's become a very different Vietnam and and build those business links because there there are um, there's growing business links to Vietnam aren't there but yes. it's it's not kind of one of the the first trading partners that people think of when they think of New Zealand's trading partners is it uh, not yet, and, yeah, not yet. And, and, and it should be right yeah. um, especially since um, this week's announcement from the government you know, in terms of the strategic partnership with Vietnam um, so Back in, in those days, uh, we were the first New Zealand tech company uh, to ever set up and operate um, in Vietnam. You know, So we had to discover everything ourselves. Um, we had a lot of really good assistance you know, from the, the New Zealand uh, trade and enterprise um, office uh, up in Ho Chi Minh City, as well as some additional support from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trades um, out of our uh, embassy in Hanoi. Um, but on the ground, you know, uh, kind of in the uh, in the midst of things that we needed to set up and operate and learn, um, we we had to really do everything from scratch. Um, you know, it took I think it took us about ten or eleven years um, before we felt that uh, we were really well set up in in Vietnam, and the thing that made us think so was when we were awarded the Vietnam IT Industries, um, you know, uh, IT Excellence Awards. And that was quite a, a prestigious award um, for the industry up there. Um, not many foreign companies have really you know, been awarded 
and the industry was very, very big, and we relatively are still quite a small uh, company. Um, and and so we thought, well, if it takes us 10, 11 years to kind of get to this point, we're fully recognized by the by the market, and our brand is very strong, and we can attract really top talent and so on, then you know, it, it will, will take other Kiwi companies who come after us, you know, just as long or maybe even longer if they don't have a head start with Vietnamese, you know, heritage. Um, you know, so uh, it was then that my business partner, Peter and I, we decided, well, why don't we extend what we've got so we can really help other Kiwi tech companies to accelerate whatever possible uh, to shorten that kind of journey in as many aspects of it as, as, as we could. Um, so more Kiwis will, will be able to, or more Kiwi tech companies will be able to get into the Vietnam market and, and, and there'll be more of us, you know, up here, uh, you know, in terms of a, a, a Kiwi tech community. Um, so we decided to work with NZTE and, and MFAT and, uh, and launch the Kiwi Connection Tech Hub uh, in, in 2016. Yeah, cool. Um, to to start sharing uh, and leveraging what we had built uh, up to that point. And you've been working also to help as a Beachheads advisor, haven't you, for NZTE or in the Beachheads program uh, to help to help Kiwi companies get that that uh, step into that market. As Vietnam yes. is a huge growth story at the moment, isn't it? A lot of the um, uh, you, you know the same kind of trends that people would have seen in. China, where it goes from being the lower skilled work to the higher skilled work, and yes. they're really accelerating super fast up that higher skilled, um, higher skilled uh, trend line. That they are. Vietnam is roughly fifteen years uh, after China mm. in terms of the trends that we can expect and predict. Uh, almost, mm. um, Vietnam also has a very interesting relationship with China, um, such that you know some of the. Um, high tech or tech related, you know, or high tech manufacturing types of opportunities have been shifting from China to Vietnam as well, um, and 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 also, um, I know this is temporary, but but with the challenges between the U.S. and, and China, um, Vietnam has also been um, uh, able to to receive a lot more attention, uh, you know, as a a, a manufacturing a high tech or, or kind of tech. Uh, hub as well, um, so it's an interesting time for for Vietnam, and uh, for me personally, being involved on the ground uh, and and seeing the incremental changes that led to where Vietnam is today has been quite amazing. Um, I, I don't ever remember seeing as much or as fast page a change in 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 New Zealand um, that I could see. Almost every three months uh, in in Vietnam, uh, it's, it's, and it's a very different pace. And that pace actually presents significant challenges for Kiwi companies, even like ourselves, to be able to to kind of operate in such a dynamically changing, uh, not just rapidly but constantly changing environment all of the time. Yeah, and such a relatively young population compared to other parts of the world and and moving forwards you know like like kind of um, everything moving so fast yes um, it, it is exciting to to be working in a country where where I think 60 percent of the population is under 30 yeah, wow um, you know and they have massive uh, mobile penetration as well as as a market 
Um, so, so both kind of economically strong, both uh, as well as um, you know strong in, in talent and tech and STEM kind of education um, that they produce up there, um, as well as digitally connected, um, but not just digitally connected within Vietnam, but very, very connected across the, the ASEAN or Southeast Asia region. Yeah, and quite a remarkable time in, in history for Vietnam as well. As you mentioned, 1,500 years of conflict and um, a lot of colonial powers uh, of, of every different stripe um, uh, oppressing Vietnam, really, and now a, a time of self-determination. Yes, yes. Well, strangely, you know, the Vietnamese have always been in a time of self-determination anyway. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right through the 1,500 years that, we, that we're talking about. Um, whether or not it was China or, or, or France or the US or Japan um, or China again, um, it kind of really hasn't changed the, the essence of the Vietnamese. I think um, that, that self-determination, but also that kind of, um, the, the, I call it the fire in the belly um, in terms of moving forward, you know, and so for a country that has such a long and, and kind of rich uh, history of conflict, um, conflict is hardly ever talked about. Um, you know, if you visit Vietnam today, you, you, you can see the history of conflict in museums, but nobody talks about it. Everyone talks about what's here now and what's, what's the, what, what the future holds uh, with all of the opportunities, uh, the economic as well as, as the digital opportunities. Let's talk about those digital opportunities. As your, as part of kind of, um, you know, in the intro, we covered a few of the industry bodies that that you're involved in, and one of the the big ones that, you know, probably isn't kind of um, huge in the public awareness is this digital council. Tell us about that. That's a government initiative, isn't it? That that you chair. Um, so the uh, the digital council for Aotearoa New Zealand um, is uh, a government initiative. Um, the government has set up an independent group uh, that forms the council to advise government ministers uh, on how uh, New Zealand can harness um, digital and data-driven technologies um, as we continue to advance uh, in digital transformation as a nation uh, to ensure that the whole of society benefits um, that individuals and, and businesses, however small, um, are not left behind. Um, and, and that's why some of the important topics um, that we kind of focus on include things like digital inclusion and, and, and you know, how SMEs can advance and, and things like that. Um, and so this council uh, follows a prior uh, attempt to uh, form and, and I guess place a role in government uh, for the uh, New Zealand Chief Technology Officer. Um, the government didn't fill that role and uh, decided that uh, it would be better to actually not limit the role to one person uh, who would also be employed by government and therefore not able to say or do certain things, whereas having a truly independent council um, can do that as well as tap into much wider networks across the economy as well as across our society. 
Um, and and so we uh, we've been very very busy in the first six months of our operation so far. We've, we uh, are devel- delivering the um, uh, kind of halfway uh, mid-year report to uh, government ministers uh, next week, uh, and we've covered uh, a very diverse uh, landscape um, across uh, very very different and very diverse um, stakeholder groups that we've engaged with uh, over the course of the last six months. Um, everything from, um, you know, groups represent, you know, people with disabilities in New Zealand to you know, the financial industry, uh, to the tech industry, um, and also uh, international connections uh, that we're starting to uh, to develop as well. Um, just so that we can take a whole of society perspective to our work and ensure that, that you know, we don't have um, Kiwis or Kiwi businesses you know, falling into the gaps. If you love the spin-off, the best way to show it is to become part of the spin-off members. This is the fund that helps us keep free and accessible to all without a paywall. It also funds some of our most important and acclaimed journalism. You can pay what you want, but for just $8 a month, you'll receive a package that includes our first book. Check it out through the spin-off. Yeah, because it's such a huge challenge, isn't it? And that as the world becomes more online and moves faster, you know, to make sure people aren't left behind in terms of capturing the opportunity, but also that things don't get out of hand. And, um, you know, as we've seen, I I see that the first year's um, theme is about trust and the second year is about inclusion and the third is innovation. But that trust thing to get to the first point where you see, you know, dodgy news sources and, you know, people deciding that 5G is the cause of corona and all this stuff and (laughs) someone's racist uncle sharing something on Facebook and, you know, next thing you know, you've got all of these kind of terrible movements happening. You know, this this kind of like, it's the Wild West still, a lot of this stuff. And so getting a handle on what we can trust and, and what's kind of good for society in here is one of the big challenges of our age. And it's been thrown to your group. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it has, it has. It's it's, uh, it's uh, partially self-inflicted as yeah. well, <laughs> because we we generally believe that you know before we can uh, really address anything else, um, trust mm-hmm. and trustworthiness mm-hmm. um, in the digital domain uh, is something that has to be part of the foundation. Uh, and then everything else can be built on top. Otherwise, we can bring amazing technologies. We can have you know amazing uh, uh, organizations you know doing very well-meaning things, um, but because people don't trust the technology or the institution or how their data might be secured or utilized and and and, and all of those things, uh, or they they might feel that look they haven't been included in the process of actually shaping these decisions as well. Um, you know, and, and, and you might end up with a whole lot of amazing digital platforms that no one uses. You know, like, and, like, like the COVID card, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the tracing apps and the like. Yeah. Uh, like a lot of things, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you're right, you know, and, and, and governments are not the only ones who, who can make those mistakes uh, as well. You know, we, we see mistakes like that made in the, in the, uh, the private sector as well. And, um, and sometimes it's outside of people's control what gets picked up and what gets adopted, you know, like uh, it, it's it's some kind of herd, herd mentality. Like, you know, who would have guessed that everyone would have moved off Friendster to, to Facebook and who would have guessed everyone would have moved off Hotmail <laughs> to Gmail? And, yes. y- you know, like the, the 
put, putting a lid on where things are in the internet or what products are adopted is a very hard thing to, to predict. And, it, and it, it, it is, it is. And, and I think uh, it, really, um, it really doesn't matter what the next thing is. What really matters is the foundation that everything sits upon. Um, and, and so trust in terms of gaining trust from, from those who we want to utilize the digital platforms, as well as keeping and maintaining the trust and demonstrating the, the, the trustworthiness of the organization, the people involved as well, the technology, as well as the way the technology has been brought together and then the, the, the transparency around how data is captured, stored and utilized, all of those things, uh, we are able to establish a very, very solid base so that all Kiwis can trust, uh, be it government or be it commercial private offerings uh, that are designed to make New Zealand and the world a better place, mm. um, then whatever the next best technology comes along may be, almost doesn't really matter. Yeah, that, that platform of trust, it's so interesting that New Zealand especially has always had, um, because we're so geopolitically kind of insignificant and, and all the rest. <laughs> Neutral. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, in, not insignificant. We're, we've always been kind of accepted everywhere. Our passport's very strong. We're yes. kind of like travellers that are welcome everywhere. Um, we're seen as, you know, I think essentially pretty trustworthy, you know, pretty yes. open, pretty pretty neutral, pretty trustworthy. Yes. And in, in a digital sense, that's so important to kind of keep, um, to, to, to keep that as part of our, our character as the world changes, isn't it? I totally agree. Um, I think that, that trust and trustworthiness is something that we can very, very quickly build on and leverage off. Um, and, and it also aligns really well with our core values, you know, our core values that come from, from Māori, um, you know, um, pillars, um, but also our core values that come from our awareness and affinity and, and, and also very, uh, uh, we, we very much believe in, in sustainability and, and stewardship of, of our environment or the environment. Um, and things that we've already been able to demonstrate around you know, things like food safety and, and, and all of those things that have kind of combined together to shape the, the New Zealand Inc. brand uh, to the world. Um, trust and trustworthiness in digital is definitely something that, that a, is a part of that or has to be a part of that, but actually can help deliver all of the other aspects uh, digitally because our digital uh, offerings are, are trusted and trustworthy. Yeah, like if it's a, a, a blockchain assurance that, you know, you've followed the milk from pasture through drying plant through to baby formula through to the store. Yes. You, you know, there's lots of digital elements that can work with our primary uh, parts for, for carrying trust through the world up there. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I think that that is why we've uh, once again focused the first year entirely on trust and trustworthiness. Yeah, that, that's so cool. And just, just quickly to touch on kind of the wider council and that you're also part of the Asia Society's Global Council. What's what's the, and, and that's quite a rare um, honour for, for a New Zealander to, to have. Tell, tell us about that council and what its role is. Um, sure. So the Asia Society's Global Council exists to advise the Asia Society on, on global relationships, uh, programmes and activities. Um, so even though the Asia Society is kind of 
mainly focusing on the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, they're based in New York City and, and they're sort of equivalent to our you know, um, very much valued Asia New Zealand Foundation. Um, so they're kind of supported and partially funded by, you know, by government, but also industry and, and, and civil society. Um, so their main interest is the Asia-Pacific region, but because the Asia-Pacific region is today or in this century kind of the the new focal point, you know, geopolitics and, and economic, economic development as well as environmental impacts and all of those things, um, the rest of the world is very interested, uh, which is why the, the Asia Society's programs are, are quite global. Um, and so they've brought together a global group of advisors and they have been um, having this group um, for, I think, four or five decades now. Um, and so it's a real honor to, to be invited and accepted into a group like this. Um, and yes, it's currently rare for, for Kiwis. Uh, I'm only the second uh, New Zealander, uh, but it shouldn't be, <laughs> and I'd like it not to be. And like New Zealand has a really interesting place in these bodies, hey, as being kind of the first Western country to do a trade deal with China and being, um, you, you know, re relatively neutral in some things because of our, um, yeah, because of our uh, being very far away and reasonably in insignificant in the scheme of things. We're kind of a test case <laughs> for a lot of things. But yeah, like, yeah, like um, it, it's really fascinating uh, that, that, you know, that there are these big bodies thinking about how the world kind of changes its axis and integrates um, with a growing Chinese influence and that New Zealand has a voice in these bodies. Uh, yes. Um, well, I, I think ultimately uh, it is true. We, we, we are smaller than most, so we have to be friends with everybody. Um, we are a very export nation. Uh, so again, your know, trade relationship with everyone is important. Um, and increasingly bringing our attention back to, you know, our economic recovery from, from COVID alongside the rest of the world uh, is essentially going to be digital-led. Um, and uh, at the same time, you know, other countries around the world are actually seeing the same future uh, for, for, for their own recovery. Um, and then so that is an additional and new aspect that also highlights the importance of of the rest of the Asia Pacific uh, region to to the future of New Zealand and, and to our own um, economic recovery, um, and as such, um, having a presence on uh, on a group like this is is very significant, uh, uh, not just as an opportunity, but but also as something that we really need to to actively leverage on. Uh, so I have this saying uh, around uh, presence plus engagement equals relevance, right? So so we can be invited to be part of whatever groups, um, so we're present, but if we don't get involved, if we don't really not just input but also kind of participate, um, maybe even lead some, some conversations that we are well-placed to lead. And I think there are many that we are well-placed to lead, especially in the new digital frontier. Um, then we miss the opportunity to be seen as being very relevant. Um, maybe even being seen as you know, leaders in, in some of these new uh, frontiers. Um, and I definitely don't want New Zealand to miss out on that. A couple of last questions that we, we like to ask everyone. First up, kind of like, 
what would your advice be for people who um, are looking to kind of like grow a business into, you know, working across two countries and, um, and, and developing a new market? And for you, that, that was actually very much being the first to actually develop the market at all. But every company, when they go into a new market and, and building out um, capacity there, um, has, has a similar journey there. Yes, and unfortunately, you know, foreign markets are, are very difficult to, to, to break into and also to grow uh, within, you know, and from, from first-hand experience, it's hard. Um, and so the, the biggest lesson I've learned, or actually we've learned uh, as a group, um, out of our own experiences in, in operating between New Zealand and, and offshore markets is that I think if we had to do it again, and we were the first, so maybe we couldn't, but today, you know, it's much easier to collaborate, uh, work with others, work through others. Um, partnering is a very important strategy to consider uh, for when Kiwi companies uh, expand offshore. Um, anything that can shortcut the time from entry to revenue um, is, is, is something that I think we should seriously consider and maybe in, attack as an initial approach. Uh, once you're in the, the foreign market um, and you're kind of working well and you're getting good revenue and you have some good partners and all of that, uh, I think over time you can then start to look at maybe investing into having your own operation, your own presence, um, as opposed to doing that initially. Uh, it would be not just harder and more expensive, but much more um, risky and, and also, when we look at the tech industry, you know, most of what tech businesses do is really work to, to, um, to get into the market or to get their products out into the market as fast as possible. Uh, we, we call it speed to market, right? So, so if speed to market is the key, uh, then collaboration is uh, the quickest way to get there. That's so cool. And as a, as a last thought, you know, um, we like to ask people what success will be to them. And I think, you know, it's so interesting with you having um, uh, had such success in business and then uh, success on the scale of being able to, um, to to give back and to help other people kind of, um, you know, miss a couple of steps and, and, and get there. Kind of like, yeah, what, what will success be um, for you and your work and your personal life? Um, I, I think for me, um, I, I do not have a... A fixed definition of what success looks like. Um, I, I don't actually spend time on that either. Um, personally, I feel that it's more important to align yourself as a person with what you do, uh, whether or not that's your job or that's your business, and then align that, you know, as an organization with what the industry does, and then align the industry with what the country needs. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate that over many years I've ended up being able to align those things you know, with, with what I do as a person, with what Algon does as a business, with what the tech industry does uh, and, and, and needs, but then also beyond that with how tech and digital you know, uh, can empower New Zealand to not just to grow and advance, but maybe also to then have an exponential impact on the rest of the world. Um, you know, and, and that's when you can align, you can see well, where New Zealand as a country uh, aligns with, with where the rest of the world is going as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that, that all of those five things for me 
personally aligns directly in one line of sight. Um, and everything I do uh, over over the, 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 the decades um, so far have been kind of really directed by that kind of alignment um, fairly fairly loosely um, rather than the finite definition of success or entry versus exit versus you know uh, gains or pushing in the right direction <laughs> <laughs> I, I think when everything is uh, aligned it's actually very easy yeah. uh, it, it feels effortless but also you can capitalize on on the time that you spend because when you when you do this one thing it's aligned with everything else and you're actually moving all of those things forward that's so cool. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Mitchell Van, the co-founder of Algon Software Group and the chair of the Digital Council of Aotearoa New Zealand. Thank you for being here today and sharing your work and your story. Thank you, Simon. Thank you very much to Tina Tiller for producing and thank you very much for having us along in your ears. Cheers. Kira. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. Brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.